morning. Good morning. Josh, right? First time. Okay, I'm watching you. <laughs> Today we lit, we lit the candle of peace. And peace has been in short supply in 2020, hasn't it? This year has been filled with turmoil and anger and disappointment and now grief. But each December rolls around and the season of Advent begins and it invites us to turn our attention away from all the things that are happening in our world to God and the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that we find only in Christ and to invite Christ into our hearts and into our homes at Christmas time. That's why we have this wonderful celebration each week of Advent of lighting these candles. It reminds us of what truly will last. Our hope isn't in any politician. As much peace is going to come, and it will come soon for a vaccine for COVID, it won't be the shalom peace that God offers. A joy that we'll receive from economic recovery or, or hopefully another stimulus, great, but it will be fleeting. The love that we experience, that we express to one another, that we enjoy with one another, we're reminded is so fleeting compared to Jesus, compared to his hope, compared to the Prince of Peace coming, compared to the, the joy that we're just saying of joy to the world, the Lord has come. So that's what we're celebrating this Christmas at home. Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah. Josh is ready. Okay. Cool your, your heels, everybody. No, I don't, are you ready for Christmas? When we think about getting ready for Christmas, what are we thinking? We think of, are all of our preparations ready? Have you finished all of your shopping for Christmas? Raise a hand if you finished your shopping for Christmas. I see, okay, I see one hand. I see just one. Okay, Jessica, you have something in common with my mom, Judy Della Santini, because my mom started early. Bill, you listen to this? <laughs> my mom started Christmas shopping months and months before Christmas, probably in the springtime, if, if not the summertime. She would start looking for deals, cutting coupons, finding things. I mean, money was tight back in those days. And so she'd find a special gift for this brother or that brother. I'm the, the youngest, but the most beloved brother. So lots of extra gifts for the youngest, right? And, and she would store those away in her closet and getting ready. She would save paper. Did you ever have, did any of you or or do you have a grandma that would save Christmas paper? She'd iron it and save it and use it year after year, right? And ribbon. Say, yeah, Joe, she, you know what I'm talking about. So she was prepared. That's one form of preparation. Uh, not very many of us seem to fall into that category of really preparing. There's another category that would be my dad, Guido Del Santino. His preparation, his getting ready for Christmas started uh, probably around December 23rd, 24th down to the 7-Eleven to buy some scratch-off lotto tickets and pop those in everybody's, in everybody's uh, stocking. So this is a time of getting ready, getting ready for Christmas, shopping, sending cards. Raise your hand if you sent a Christmas card this year. Very, many fewer hands. Well, Jessica raised her hand. <laughs> but it, it, this happens, it, this is a weird time of year, right? But normally there'd be lots of Christmas cards to go out. But you ever have that experience of you're trying to get that Christmas card or that Christmas letter ready, 
and that's getting too late and you don't have the postage and you turn it into a New Year's card, right? And then it's like, well, it's a, in, into the new year, we'll make it a Valentine's Day card, and then you're like, oh, forget it. We'll just, we'll just skip it. I hope you're making plans for Christmas Eve here uh, with us at MVC. We'll have four services. We're kind of going all in on Christmas this year. Many churches in our area are having only one online service or none at all. We're going four. Four? Yeah, four, 5.30, uh, 730 and 9. Just even talking about this, I think, would raise some nervousness and a little anxiety. Thanks, Pastor Pete. You're reminding me I'm not ready. This is a season to get ready, though. Not with shopping, and certainly, unfortunately, not with plans to get together with family and friends. Season to get ready for the coming of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, just, just to reiterate, to repeat, as Sarah prayed, Lord God, we, we turn to you now, seeking a peace that passes understanding. Lord, I want to pray especially for brother pastors in our community who, um, who have been diagnosed with COVID, and those churches are trying to make plans right now of how to care for uh, their pastors, their safety, we pray for their recovery, and for those communities of faith in our community that are are struggling for all those that are struggling. Lord God, turn our attention now to you, to your word. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Advent is a season of getting ready. In Latin, it really means coming, the coming of the Lord, the Advent of the Lord. And it's a season of preparing for his coming, for his coming in glory. The first advent 2,000 years ago and the second advent of his return. Now, when he returns and he is coming again soon, he's not coming as a six-pound, eight-ounce, chubby, baby, yet omnipotent uh, little baby boy. He's going to come in power and in glory. And Scripture says he's going to come to usher in his kingdom, God's final rule to the end of time. Scripture says he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And so from a pulpit here in Maple Valley Church, I ask you, I ask all of you, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for him to come in glory? Are you ready to be judged by God for how you have lived your life? In these final days, a full revealing of God's purposes for the world, all scripture's prophecy coming true. Are you ready? That's the very message, in fact, that was charged to Isaiah to deliver to the people of Israel and Judah. And for the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the answer is a resounding, no, you're not. You are not ready at all. And it's trouble. And it's troubling. But last week and this week and this whole month, we're focused on chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah. I invite you to turn, turn there. If you have your Bible, you have your Bible at home. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. But chapter 40, the, the whole theme of Isaiah starts to turn. 39 chapters of Isaiah saying, you're not ready. There are consequences to your actions, people. And now he has a new message to proclaim a message of God's comfort, 
a message of God's love, a message of God's grace, a message of good news, of great joy, that God is coming to return the exiles who, who were taken from Israel, Judah, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and they were taken away uh, to Babylon for 70 years, living so far from the promised land. Now Isaiah gets to deliver a message. You get to return and you get to prepare for the coming of our God. And now we read the, the next part of the text, chapter 40. Last week was verses 1 to 5. This week, verse 11, 6 to 11. It says, a voice says, cry out. And Isaiah said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and he's, his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Isaiah is now hearing another voice telling him to say something to the people. And, and remember what, what was already said in the context of those first verses. And remember, this is prophetic, uh, po poetic language here. So that's why we have to sort of understand and interpret what it is that he's saying. But we do know the tone in which he's supposed to say it. He, the very first part says, comfort, comfort my people. So bring comfort. And it says in the second verse, it says, speak tenderly to my people. A message of, of comfort and message that's tender to the exiles that are still stuck in Babylon. And what's that message? You people are like grass. <laughs> Your faithfulness is fickle. Your consistency isn't there. You're here one season and gone by the next. Your reliability is as fragile as a wildflower. The grass withers, the, flower, the wildflower fades if God just puffs on it, but the word of God stands forever. Does that sound very comforting to you? Does that sound very tender? Maybe it's my tone of voice. Or maybe it's your perspective. He's told to deliver a message that will be comforting, will be communicate tenderly. Sometimes our perspective makes a big difference of how that message lands on us. Whichever the case, it has to do with a spiritual preparation that's already begun. The message from last week, prepare in the wilderness. The Lord is coming. Prepare in the wilderness of your heart. Remove those things that are blocking you from truly trusting God. Those valleys, those low places, those places where you feel depressed, raise them up. And those high mountains, those things that seem, those obstacles in your life that are insurmountable, lower them. How would we raise them? How would we lower? How do we clear the... Clear the forest only by trusting in God was the message. And here he says, people 
Let's get real. Your faithfulness, your reliability is like grass. I imagine, again, thinking poetically, that Isaiah might be imagining the, the rolling hills of Judah that would be in the springtime where the, the spring rains would be covered with Kelly green uh, grass. As far as the eye can see, wildflowers popping absolutely gorgeous. But then the hot winds would blow in that very arid place. They'd be baked in the sun and they'd be gone in a matter of weeks. The prophet is saying, this is about how you people now in Babylon relate to God and trusting yourselves. And the relation here between a fresh, living, vibrant plant and a dead, dry one, it's pretty evident, isn't it? When you were living in the land of milk and honey, and you were prospering, and all was right in the world, but now you're in a time that's arid and dry and foreign, where there's fear and doubt and anger and frustration. So Isaiah is telling these returning exiles, they're on their way back. They're going to be coming soon out of exile back to the promised land. He's telling them like I'm telling you this morning in our return, we're going to be returning soon, aren't we? From a COVID exile back to real life, back to some form of normalcy. The Lord honestly wants us to understand our circumstances and situation. Communicate this message, prophet, pastor, tenderly, carefully, but honestly. Before they return to the promised land, Isaiah is saying, before you return to the promised land, people, and I'm saying to you, before the vaccine comes and everything goes back to normal, listen. Consider what it is you're putting your trust in. This message is the same then and it is the same now. There is a warning in this message. And here it is. You cannot save yourself. Children of Israel, have you not now learned after 70 years in exile, you can't save yourself. You can't rely on your own know-how and ingenuity. You can't trust your heart. God's word tells us we can't trust our own heart. People of Maple Valley Church, waiting for a COVID vaccine, waiting for all the things to work out, waiting for the election to finally be over. Listen, you cannot save yourself. You cannot trust in your own ingenuity, your own understanding. You must trust in the Lord. Because why? Isaiah says, our faithfulness as human beings is fleeting. Other texts will say our consistency in our understanding and our application of the meaning of life. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So we need to really wrestle with this. And maybe you're receiving this word and hearing, Pastor P, I know him, he's trying to communicate in a, in a thoughtful manner, and I, he cares for me. Maybe you don't even know who I am. It's the first time you're hearing, like, how dare he talk about these things at Christmas time? How dare he? But the message is the same. You cannot secure your future, your security, your loved one's security, your peace, joy, or everlasting love apart from God. Why? Why? 
Look at verse 7. It says, besides relying on the Lord, anything else, it blows away. It says, because the breath of the Lord, the ruach of the Lord, blows on them. Blows on those things that we hold so dear. Blows them away. Those things that we say, well, this will last forever. This Christmas tradition will last forever. This precious ornament that I unwrap every year, it's going to last. How long will it last? A few decades? Hand-me-down? Eventually makes its way to, to the trash. These returning exiles needed to be reminded before life got back to normal that they prospered when they were living faithful lives devoted to Yahweh, but that they ran into trouble time and time again when they were inconsistent with their faith. And that's the same message that I'm to deliver to you, to you and to myself. That's the kind of preparation that needs to happen. Look at verse 8. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Other texts will say endures forever. The Lord's word that reveals to us his character, his attributes, and his purposes for life are constant in and out of any season. And so the living God is to be absolutely trusted. His word proves true time and time again. The Apostle Peter picked up on this in his first letter, chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. He talks about the faith, the, the, the incredible faith that God's giving you that will see you through the suffering and the persecution that, that he's writing to those that are suffering, the, those that are dispersed because of the persecution. He says, planted in, inside of you is a seed. Notice the same kind of illustration, that same analogy of, of plant life. That seed is indelible living and abiding, reliable and imperishable. The God's word, that is to know God personally, grows, blossoms, and doesn't fade away. It stands the test of time. It stands the test of trials and hardships. It stands the test of questioning. So Isaiah is saying to Israel and Judah, as I'm saying to you now, don't trust in anything else on planet Earth than the living God. Because God's promises are sure, reliable, dependable. And I get it. I get that this is a sermon. And you're thinking, Pastor Pete's just doing an amazing job up there. I know you're, you, Pastor Pete is really uh, full of himself. This is really uncomfortable because no one's reacting in the audience. But you are at home, right? <laughs> Folks, this is real life stuff. This is real life stuff. God's word has survived century upon century. Doubts, questions, persecutions, changing philosophies. Oh, the world has changed. Oh, now we need to understand everything in a new way. There's nothing new under the sun. All forms of critics, all forms of edits, redacting of God's word, neglecting of God's word. And I'm trying to say this as tenderly as I can. Listen, real life stuff. Build your life on biblical, historic Christianity. So I'm not going to try to dress this up with 
some story or illustration or, well, what was, he, what was the point? Of, let me just say it clear cut. Base your life on biblical, historic Christianity. That's the hope that I can offer to you and the peace, the source of peace. Trust in what Christians have always agreed on is essential. Beliefs that, that we are called to believe if you were to say you're a Christian. If you say, I'm a Christian, then you would believe these things. It's a short list. I'll share it with you in just a moment. If you're like, I'm not sure about this one or that one, then let's talk about those things. But these are the things we must believe in order to be saved, in order to receive Christ. Number one, human depravity. Humankind is like grass. That's what it means to be depraved. It doesn't mean that everything you do is bad or there's, there's, there's nothing good or you can't be logical or create great art and great beauty and great love. No, no, it's, it's saying our hearts are just inclined to sin, to rebel, to, to run from God. And there's just nothing about our own human nature in and of itself that can get right with God on its own. Number two, that there is only one God. We're not polytheists. Oh, well, you know, I th- I th- my impression is that God's in the ocean. I think God's in, in the trees. You know, everyone has a different understanding of God, and it's all perfectly acceptable. It's all the same. No, it is not. There is one true living God who's revealed himself to us as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Number three, we are saved by grace. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to, to earn your salvation. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift. That's what grace is. God's, God's grace to you is a gift. It's not by works. Number three, that Jesus is a man. He lived 2,000 years ago. Human flesh, a real human being with a full human nature in every way. And number, number five, Jesus is also God, fully divine. A full human nature and a full divine nature in one person. Number six, the necessity of faith. You have to have faith in order to be saved. What's the list of things I'm supposed to do? Don't forget about what you need to do. Think about what he has done. Faith in him. When the Bible talks about faith, it's really, uh, it's a sense of like trust. Like we can say we believe stuff, but do we have trust? It's like, well, I, I believe this is a stool and I don't weigh that much. I think it could hold me. But it's not until I put my weight on it, I show trust. That's what we need to have. That's what it means, the necessity of faith. And then finally, number seven, the atonement. Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that we could never live, and he died on a cross to pay a debt that we could never afford to pay a ransom for us. A ransom captive Israel, as we sing at Christmas time. It's a short list. Christ dying on the cross, rising from the grave on the third day. Seven points. Now, with those seven points, there are logically other things that are necessary to believe, but you may not know them before you're saved, and that's okay. You may not know all these very well, that's okay. But logically, others would flow right out of the season the virgin birth. The Trinity, as I referenced, and the reliability of God's word. It's a short, broad list with all kinds of room 
for differences of opinion and conversation and countless books read and, and conversation of understanding, well, what about this consideration? And what about that? And there's room for that. This past week, David Miles uh, took his, his theology test for ordination and wrote for three hours questions about theology. And he probably spelled out answers and wrote them differently the way I would have written mine 20 years ago. And Sarah's going to take her ordination exam a year from now, and she'll probably write them slightly different in her own way too. There's room for that. And yet, these are the very things, this very brief list, that one must believe in order to get right with the Lord. This is what it means to trust in God. So let me ask you a question. What would it cause someone to not trust in God anymore? What would it cause for someone to trust in their own instinct? To my own heart, I must be true. What would it cause someone to walk away from the gift of eternal peace, love, hope, joy in Christ? There's almost an endless list of reasons, and I mention this now because this time of year is fraught with anxiety and concern for loved ones, maybe for some of you here, maybe for some of you watching at home. When family does come together, when we check in at Christmas time, things start to move and concerns we have about what the nature of faith, the nature of what we believe come up, and I want to speak to that. Why would someone walk away from their faith and doubt the love of God and the reliability of his word? Could be being hurt by the church. Could be unanswered questions. And there are good questions. They deserve good answers, not a Sunday school pat answer. Maybe it's someone who has troubles with scripture. Could be the high moral demands, social concerns, reacting to conflict in your family or or within the church body. I just... I just don't like being around these Christians. Could be a crisis of faith. Could be suffering. It could be your life being rattled by a loss and not ever getting over it. And we're not meant to get over the loss of a loved one. For some of us here, we have a loved one who we would say is a spiritual exile. They're just so far from truly celebrating Christmas, but the, reason, the true re- reason for the season, they just don't have that peace and love and joy that is offered at this time. For some of you here and you watching at home, you would say, that's, that's me. I feel like an exile. I've done something in my past. I know God's forgiven me, but the church has never forgiven me. I feel like an exile. And so for that, I would say, these things are very valid. Your concerns, your questions, your doubts, your pain. And I am sorry. These are all valid reasons to be skeptical and to feel hurt. Valid reasons for doubt. These feelings, experiences that come to mind, and maybe it's your spouse. I know a lot of uh, folks that come here by themselves and would love to have their husband or their wife attend church with them. We as a church, the church universal, 
our church, I'm not speaking to, there's no controversy. Everyone's starting to look at me. They're looking at me every while. What's going on? This is just something that needs to be said, right? Do you get what I'm saying? We need to always be re-examining and considering how are we ministering to people? How are we truly coming alongside them, helping them find those answers, taking that next step of faith, and when they feel stuck, staying there with them and saying, I'll sit here with you in this confusing, dark, troubling time as long as it takes. We are a Reformed church, and we are always in need of reform, to, to always be practicing more and more healthy practices that are in the way of Jesus and line up with biblical, historic Christianity. So there are good reasons why Christianity has been around for 2,000 years as, as it is. You are not the first one to ask the questions that you're asking right now. You are not the first one to struggle with how can I put on a happy face at Christmas when this is all so hard and confusing and frustrating. I'm not sure what I believe. You're not the first one. So I would invite you and invite all of you. Hear this. This message of good news, of great joy. Verses 9 and 11, look at the text. Isaiah is now called to ask these very people, the very ones that still are exiles, the very ones that are still in doubt, the very ones that still haven't gotten right with the Lord, they're still confused, they still have all kinds of issues in their past, the suffering they've had for all those years, stuck so far away from home, he gets to invite them to share the good news of great joy. He says, you're going to be a part of this celebration. He says in the text, sing from the mountains, go to every city, here is our God, behold our God. These are people that are in darkness, who are struggling, who have nothing. They have, they're less than nothing economically and socially. They're, they're, they're exiles. They have no citizenship. And he calls them, he invites them, he's told to invite them to sing forth and to bring this great news. Have you heard these themes before? Behold our God. And there's two amazing things that he's to communicate, that they're to communicate, that we're to communicate. One is that the Lord is super strong. Look at the text there. It, it speaks of the Lord comes with power. Verse 10. He rules with a mighty arm. It's like a returning king, a victorious king who comes and he comes with to celebrate. He's probably throwing gold coins to the people. They're coming to celebrate this great strength. So God has this great power, uh, unlimited power, and yet this great tenderness and care. A shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. Have you heard these themes before? The most unlikely of messengers to be sent from a dark place to share a message of good news, of great joy that a king is coming, one that is ultimately strong and ultimately uh, caring like a shepherd. I want you to see, people, how this is God's story. It's one story. It's one continuum. And as much as you are doubting what I'm saying and thinking oh, this is just a nice form of speech, that's what those people were thinking as well before it came true, as it will come true. 
Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And talk about this amongst yourselves afterwards if you see some parallels between Isaiah 40 and what I'm about to read. Verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled here. These shepherds in the darkness out there, these working stiffs with their little sheep outside the city, outside the light, outside the warmth of a warm home and a hot meal. They're the ones that are being called to deliver this message. They're there in their doubt and their confusion. And they're the ones that are given this sign. When the angels had left them, and gone into the heaven, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, city of bread, a city of a king, and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard, the message that they were delivering, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. God said it and he showed it to us and we are praising God, which were just as they had been told. Friends, if there's any doubt, any sense of trusting in our own understanding of things, our own opinion, we lay that down and receive from God a peace that passes understanding and an invitation to be a part of sharing this good news of great joy. Let's pray. Lord God, as we consider your word today and consider the reality that life is so fleeting, it passes so quickly, yet your word stands forever. Lord God, this Christmas we want to commune with you. We want to see you, Lord Jesus. We want to be part of sharing that good news. God, you said your glory would be, would be revealed to the whole world, and, and it happened 2,000 years ago in your birth, and it happened some 30-some-odd years later on the hill of Calvary. You went to the cross to pay for our sin, and it will be shown again the world over soon. So, Lord God, prepare us for that and help us, Lord, to proceed from this place with a message of 
your love and your peace, the end of the warfare, and Lord, the message of joy. It's in our hearts. Lord God, fill our hearts with your love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.